0: back friends to the mark claire show it's time to start your week right with another great conversation as we try to navigate this crazy reality of ours we're going to try to sort through some world views i guess today a little bit with my guest adam patrick but first if i look happy you know why I'm, i am happy you know why it was new coffee day for me today i got a couple presents from my friend Stephen Fox. Now, I'm also a little sad, to be honest, because I, bro- I broke my French press this morning. So I haven't actually tried either of these yet. So if you want to contribute to the um, Buy Mark a New French Press fund, you can uh, join at Patreon, patreon.com slash Mark Claire Show, star, uh, support me on Rockfit. Any of these will help me in some way uh, buy a new French press. I don't really need you to do that. I'm going to buy one before. I'm not waiting for the money. Okay, But, you know, every little bit helps. Nonetheless, check this out. If you're on video, you can see them. Video, of course, available. You see how I blend these promos together. YouTube, BitChute, Rockfin, Odyssey. I try to put stuff everywhere so you can just go wherever you want. Rumble when it syncs properly, which it doesn't always. Nonetheless, Fox and Sons Coffee. My man, Stephen Fox, has a great business that he started with his sons to teach them about entrepreneurship and to share his love of coffee that he had with his dad growing up. Uh, I think it's a wonderful thing. And he makes some, well, he does not make the beans, let's be honest. He sources the beans uh, and he sources them incredibly. I don't know how he does it, to be honest, but he does it and he gets them to me at very, very affordable prices, especially for the high quality. And they're going to be even more affordable for you. I didn't even mention the, the names of these, by the way. Tanzania Peaberry and Brazil Honey Prep. These both sound very enticing. Again, can't wait to get my French press back so I can brew these up. Uh, But let me tell you, you can get yourself a discount. You can use discount code MCS if you just want to try out a bag for the first time. That'll get you 18% off. Or... If you just go get a subscription like I have every 30 days, you're going to get a new bag, a new two pound bag of coffee delivered directly to your door, and you're going to get $4 off. Just head on over to foxandsons.com, F-O-X, the letter N, dot com. Foxandsons.com, My friends, I would not steer you wrong. I stand by this coffee. I drink this coffee nearly every day of my life, except I haven't today. And eh, it's thrown me off a little bit, but I have the energy. I have the excitement. I have the vibe. I had caffeine. I had a red bull, right? I still had caffeine today. So I'm okay. Nonetheless, check out Fox and sons. You're not going to regret it. And you're also not going to regret listening to today's conversation or watching however you so choose to consume my conversation with Adam Patrick. With me today, he is the host of the Age of Information podcast. I'm very pleased to welcome a fellow Connecticut man, uh, Adam Patrick. Adam, welcome to my show. Thanks, Mark. Good to be here. I say fellow. I mean, I I, I was raised in Connecticut. I know you grew up there as well, but of course, I am now, as everybody knows, a Florida man. But you were once a Florida man as well.
1: Yeah, spent a few years down there. I think we're currently, the the show I'm doing is the only um, Orthodox-based, or at least Orthodox-tangent, podcast in the state of Connecticut. So you got something to hold on. Not that there's a lot to choose from here. But,
0: uh, <laughs> have you, have you done the research on that?
1: Uh, is that fact uh, anecdotal research? Anecdotal. All right, fair enough.
0: We'll take it. That passes here on the Mark Claire show anyway. Uh, It's all anecdotes all the time, but uh, Adam, uh, when I first last talked to you, uh, at least in podcast form, was about two years ago on Lions of Liberty, and I I recently re-listened to that episode just to kind of get a feel for where you and I both were at the same time, and uh, as we were kind of talking before the show, I always feel a little cringe listening to myself sometimes even five minutes ago, let alone two years ago. Uh, but it was really interesting to hear because I've sort of followed your journey a little bit and sort of where you are now and the different direction you took on your podcast. So it was interesting to sort of get some of that contrast. Um, so maybe you can dig into a little more of your background. Of course, you can touch on sort of your religious background growing up, uh, as we talked about a little bit in that interview, but maybe you can dovetail more into the last couple of years and how you how your worldview has changed over that time.
1: Sure. Um, it would be interesting, actually, to go for me to go back. And listen to that because as um, we could I,
0: pull it up right now and do a live a live review, yeah, we'll just, we'll,
1: all, we'll go get a beer and just let that oh, yeah. for the next hour and a half. Sounds fun to me. No, it would be fun because as you know, I started to kind of remove myself from the bar and restaurant industry, which I had been so heavily immersed in, you know, seventy hours a week for like fifteen years, um, and start going back to reading more and learning more, and then getting pretty heavily involved in in Orthodox Christianity and the church uh, here uh, at home. Um, I realized a lot that uh, I was learning about my past through my situation in the present. So it, it a lot of things that maybe I was trying to recall two or three years ago when I started the show and when you and I met, um, I've recalled a lot more now and have a lot more context, I think, for why I was in certain positions in my life or held certain positions in my life um, that I wasn't aware of back then. So it's been a lot of introspection. Um, a lot of time in, you know, talking to my priest, a lot of time working through my, uh, with my fiance and her family and my family to asking questions. Um, you know, did did I used to do this? Did I used to think like this? What was your opinion on that? Um, and that's been really cool. I, I've never really done that before. Um, so that led to moving from what was essentially a liberty freedom style podcast into um, pr- pretty, uh, we call it age of information, orthodoxy in the modern world. And what I wanted to do was give a, you know, uh, I'm not qualified to give spiritual advice, obviously, but more of an academic view of the history of Christianity um, to talk about some common misconceptions that people have. Uh, You know, I hadn't known Orthodox Christianity was a thing uh, until two and a half, three years ago, or I probably would have been an Orthodox Christian in my teens, right? That's what I had been looking for and couldn't find. Um, So, you know, God felt, uh, you know, free to give it to me when he gave it to me and I make me aware when I became aware. So we, we take that and we also talk about or we're going to start doing more on, <clears throat> um, you know, how the modern world works, the philosophy, conspiracy theories, uh, you know, debunking things, talking about actual history of the elites. Uh, I just had Michael Rechtenwald on to talk about the Great Reset. We're going to be doing some work uh, with Thomas 7-7 on the CIA and, and you know, their, their work in you know, OSSCIA, stuff like that. So it's kind of a compare and contrast, you know, and then ultimately as, um, and I'm not putting guests on the spot if they're not Orthodox Christian, I, I don't care. Uh, <clears throat> but giving my comments on how I think as um, an Orthodox Christian, how we can approach um, things like, I don't know, the JFK assassination or something like that. Just a, a colloquial thing that the audience will be familiar with. Or the COVID, like how do, how does a, uh, an Orthodox Christian look at that as compared to, I don't know, an atheist or a Roman Catholic or a Protestant or a Libertarian or somebody who votes for Trump or whatever. So that's, yeah, that's kind of what we're trying to do. Um, as far as my background, I mean, I, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. I'm, I'm almost 41. So it was a lot of, you know, rolling in the dirt, playing sports, riding bikes around. Um, we had a great neighborhood here growing up. I mean, there's, every house had kids my age in it. So our house became kind of the center of the neighborhood and we just had fun, man. Like we were out, you know, you wake up, you go outside, you come home and you know, when it's dark or sometimes after dark. <clears throat> and then I had the added advantage of having a, uh, humanities professor for a father and a library of thousands of books in our house. So I was a voracious consumer of content before this medium was available. Right. So would read two or three books a week, philosophy, history, English lit, uh, Greek classics, things like that. Um, huge, you know, listener of music, uh, 80s, 90s music, but going back to, you know, my mother listened to 60s, 70s stuff. My father listened to the Beatles. Um, we watched a crap ton of movies, just voraciously consuming content. So, you know, over the years, as I've gotten older, I've, I've, I kind of lost interest in pop culture around like 2011. <laughs> but everything prior to that, you realize as you get older and do this more and communicate more how all of those things become so relevant. You know, that philosophy comes back up again. History comes back up again you know, just a movie that you saw in 1985, you go back and watch it. You're like, oh, I see all these symbols and patterns and oh things. Oh my like- God.
0: That like that, just, just not to t- tangent too much, but it's also kind of what we do here. Uh, you know, that that's how Twin Peaks has been for me. I talked about it a couple of weeks ago with Isaac Weishaupt. It's one of these shows that sort of has kept popping up in my life. And then I would k- kind of kept diverting away from it. And then now I finally have gotten all the way into it. I finally watched the first two seasons and, and the, the Fire Walk with Me movie. And hmm. now it's like, it's almost like I had to, wait until this point in my life to really fully grasp all of the symbology and everything that show is trying to say. So I completely yeah. uh, understand what you mean by that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've probably seen, it's, cause it's only like three seasons, right? I've probably seen it seven or eight times straight through. Well, there's the two years. regular
0: seasons and then Firewalk with me. And then there's the third season, the return on Showtime. That's the one I haven't oh. read. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah.
1: But yeah, you're right. And it'll, it'll be amazing. You know, assuming we can still access content 20 years from now, you know what we what we see in it then, and uh, yeah, that's a great thing to explore. Kind of our evolution, we we never stop learning, we never stop growing and seeing things. Um, and you know, you do this. I like to do this. Challenge people to, you know, leave your presuppositions at the door uh, and 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 keep to keep growing, keep learning. Uh, consume content of people and books that you disagree with, right? Because that's going to help you form your worldview as well. So that's what we say, uh, the age of information we have. I mean, the regular human being working at McDonald's has access to the world history of every viewpoint ever from anybody at this point right and you, you might have to dig for it right because the you know powers that be might not want you to see those things or get those books but there we can we can do it we can um, your search
0: you, results may be skewed but uh, if you're yeah. sleuthy enough you can find it
1: Sure. And, and that's our duty as adults to continue to do that because most people won't and they'll just do stuff to do it or because they saw someone else do it. And we we want to challenge those people to grow up and and start becoming productive members of a community and help other people grow up too. Right. That's, you know, we're in our 40s. Well, you might not be, but oh, I, oh,
0: I am. Don't you okay. worry. <laughs> well, you, you wear
1: it better than I do, but
0: I'm a little more into it than you are.
1: But that's that's the goal, man. We we just want to put information out there and help and direct people to you know primary sources, direct people to the church. Um, and if we can do that, then th- through the the work that we're doing here at the Age of Info, um, I'll consider it a success. All
0: right, so maybe you can dig a little bit more into your actual. I don't know where what part of the process are you? Are you a catechumen now?
1: Um. So no, no. Uh. So the the priest at the church that we go to had wanted. Me to go through the process. And he was his plan, you know, seven, eight months ago was to have me, uh, Chris made to baptize on Pasca, this previous Pasca. Uh, and I said, Well, here's what I want to do. I want to wait at least until Pasca 2024. I don't want to rush into it. I'm, not that I don't think I'm still going to be here. <laughs> right. But I feel like a lot of times, and I'm a very Im- uh, impulsive person mm-hmm. and sometimes compulsive person, I wanted the time to sort of let the shiny veneer fall away um, and really become more practiced, uh, prayer, repentance, uh, attending the church. Like there are Sundays that I have to be at work um, and I feel terrible. Like I don't feel good. Like not guilty, but like I physically don't feel good.
0: That's like skipping a workout, you know?
1: Oh, cr- it's crazy, dude, yeah. it, it, and so much more. So uh, I just made that, the reason I'm not, um, I, I guess I would be called an inquirer if you're looking for a, a specific term, but I chose that. I, I wanted to wait, you know, at least another year. Um, and that seemed to be appreciated. You know, by everybody there. So yeah, that's that's where I'm at.
0: Well, it shows a certain amount of humbleness too. Like, you know, I'm not ready to dive right into this thing. And I, I mean, I've had a lot of people. I've talked about this a lot on the show. Um, a lot of people have reached out to me, like, "Oh man, are you orthodox now? Are you going orthodox now?" Because I've had a lot of people on the show, and I, you you are actually one of them in in a way. Uh, obviously, I brought you on this particular episode, knowing you're orthodox, and that's kind of what I want to talk about today. But a couple of years ago, you were one of those people that I had con- been connecting with, uh, sort of with all the post libertarian hoopla and that, and that and whatnot, and we sort of connect through that and again only later and only later because you weren't even there yet at the time you're one of those people that oh now Adam's kind of on this orthodox path and it's, I've noticed that, and you know, several of these people like Buck or, or whatnot that have are people that we've all connected with that I look around one day, oh, this guy's on this orthodox path. Oh, this guy's in mm-hmm. this orthodox path. And they're all people that I was connecting with, not for that reason, or maybe it was for that reason, right. depending on how you want to look at it. So mm-hmm. maybe you can dig a little bit more into your own um, evolution of your worldview. What actually set you from just sort of really, I think when you first started the podcast, you were doing a lot of shows, uh, looking more deeply into the Bible and that sort of thing what actually put you specifically on this current orthodox pathway
1: yeah so i i grew up roman catholic we were you know more than nominally roman catholic growing up my my mother was what you would call like a modern or is a modern kind of novus ordo new mass sort of uh folk band style roman catholic uh, she actually started a folk band in the church we went to and oh, yeah. yeah and i always um just found that strange i mean there's these little ticks that you get if you're paying attention to the world and i was always kind of studying people and situations growing up and i noticed a real disconnect between uh, the church that i was learning about the church that it had been in previous decades uh previous centuries and you know even millennia right um and what i was seeing actually happen and this would be <clears throat> the mid 90s really um, the only other option I saw was, you know, there was no traditional Latin mass around me. Uh, I probably didn't even know what that was for a name. I just knew that the whole liturgy had changed in in the 60s. And so I, so I started reading up on why that happened um, because I ultimately wanted to be a Christian. I, I went to Catholic school, K through eight, um, was very heavily involved in the parish, uh, volunteer work, and I was an altar server, you know, everything you would expect, like a quote unquote, you know, Proper Roman Catholic to be. Um, but there was just a lot of inconsistencies. And um, the only other option I saw was the Protestant world. And I had, you know, most of my friends, like growing up in the neighborhood, were, uh, if they were religious, they were nominally Protestant. And I just didn't see anything there either. Um, we had access to my father's college um, early church father writings. So I, I was reading those, um, a lot of like philosophy and history books. And it, it was, everything was kind of from a Roman Catholic or Protestant perspective at that time. There wasn't a lot, obviously the church fathers have an Orthodox perspective, but I didn't have the the concept of Orthodox Christianity to put that in. I just saw the church I was going to and the churches around me were not lining up with what they were saying. And then that I realized it wasn't really lining up with what the scripture was saying. Um, ultimately what, what this led to was me sort of abandoning the church. um, you know, I I joined the military right after 9 11. Um, had some really cool experiences there, but ultimately I started to see kind of that government side of things, the the spook side of things, um, which led me down into a completely different path, which ultimately culminated in, I guess you could call it libertarianism. Um, and what I realized recently that I didn't really understand uh, two or three years ago was. I had been looking for a paradigm. I'd been looking for a worldview that explained everything, right? It, to put it as simply as I can. Um, Roman Catholicism couldn't do that. Protestantism couldn't do that. And because I had studied philosophy so heavily, and that that was my major, actually, when I went back to university, um, I knew that you had to justify your worldview. Like, that was something that we were taught from an early age, that if you can't explain why you believe what you believe, then you're just sort of doing stuff, which is what most people do. And I was aware of that. So I was looking for the thing that would sort of describe everything, right? That would be my paradigm. And that ended up being libertarianism um, because it seemed to do that, although not quite entirely. So I kept exploring that and pushing back on people to say, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? Um, Of course, ultimately, it ends up not explaining everything. And so
0: libertarianism is uh, it's great at showing you all the things bad on sort of a material level with like governmental systems, a lot of our economics, things like this. It's great at pointing that out, but it's not great at providing some a, a positive worldview to to sort of spring out from, which is why I think a lot of libertarians sort of get stuck, and in, I'm including myself 100%, in this. sort of get stuck in the cycle where they almost, if they're going to embrace libertarianism, it almost has to become your worldview, which at some point does fall apart because there is not really a, a base worldview there. It's really more an, an anti-worldview. It's it's what's wrong with all these things. It's not here's how to look at things, if that makes
1: sense. Yeah, it, it's really more of a commentary, I think, right. than it is a worldview. And <clears throat> when you're Commenting on something, there needs to be a worldview behind it. Otherwise, again, people are just reacting. They're just reacting to whatever they're seeing in the world, um, and that's that's fine. I mean, there there's you know nothing inherently I think evil about libertarianism. Although, it was the moment I realized that it it comes from the same strain of thinking, the same classical liberal, enlightenment, individualist, you can be your own god, Nietzsche style thinking that. All the other isms come from communism liberalism socialism libertarianism they're all from the same place and so there and then when you really look into like elite structure especially britain you know 15 1600s or what was going on in germany you see uh it was really created very specifically to move in a nominalist empiricist direction with the world to remove church and crown to destroy imperial rule to destroy the church whether east west or whatever Um, and, and so libertarianism is just a version of that. And it plays in a dialectic back and forth with the communist side. But really, the classical liberal tradition, the communist tradition, the Marx Marxist tradition, they're all being influenced by the same people, right? The same people funded Marx that funded, you know, John Stuart Mill, right? So it's it, it just becomes this sort of silly Ouroboros that's continuing to eat itself. And once that clicked, it was the same time that, I don't even remember the first time somebody mentioned Orthodox Christianity, but I had been studying Sufism at the time, uh, which is sort of a spiritual Islam kind of thing.
0: Yeah, you actually shared a, a book with me. I, the the name is is escaping me, but uh, you shared a book with me that I read or I listened to an audio book, I should say, about which is sort of a Sufi philosophical book, and it was absolutely fascinating to me.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think the guy's name is Shah, last name is Shah. Maybe I'd have to I'd have to look it up, but yeah, fa- absolutely fascinating. And I don't know why I started <laughs> looking into that stuff at that time but i think again it was just every you know if when you learn new information or somebody presents me with something i'd never heard of before well i have to go read everything i can find on it right I, it's there's hundreds of not thousands of books in here from just like the last 5 years you know that that if or pdfs i mean i have a whole stack of just printouts from like academia.com things that you can't get in book form so that was one of those things and then <clears throat> orthodox christianity became I, like I said, I don't remember who initially introduced me to it, whether it was Vin or, or Erickson or whomever. It was another kind of academic pursuit. And this would have been, you know, late 2020, early 2021. Um, <clears throat> so I started voraciously consuming content that was orthodox um, to learn more about it. And I realized very quickly that it answered all of the questions I had when I was younger, um, I, quite explicitly. I mean, <laughs> there was no running around from it. Um,
0: can we pick one can we have some fun and pick one pick a question from when you're younger that wasn't being answered by the church or whatever that is now sort of answered or at least maybe addressed by the orthodox worldview uh
1: sure yeah i'll I'll do an easy one right so uh guitar music and um, singing 60s folk music uh during the mass right in the church i grew up in that just didn't compute and I, i don't know why it didn't compute, but it felt just,
0: You were just thinking, thinking, this doesn't feel like it belongs here without and, really a and, way, and, to, way to word why.
1: When, when you read up on you know, what went into Vatican II that ultimately the Novus Ordo, the new mass comes out of, uh, you realize it was basically all influenced by atheist elites and Protestants and Jesuits who all wanted the same nominalism and individualism that all the libertarians wanted. right? So once I learned that, I had to go back and see, okay, well, what happened before that? why did this evolution happen? And it, it seemed like, <clears throat> and now I know this pretty much for sure and can document it a lot better that the Roman Catholic church is just an atheist factory, And all it does is, is morph and change with the time to be whatever it needs to be to get people to believe in the Pope. That's really all it is. So what do we need to do? What do we need to compromise on? What do we need to change just to get people to believe the Pope is the Pope? Um, and that just didn't line up for me. Like, if you look at, I mean, even being 20 years old, you can look at early church history. You can, there's documents of popes, like literally, literally the Bishop of Rome, uh, condemning what is current modern day papist action, right? It, it's popes saying, don't be this type of person. Um, and, you know, Orthodoxy, with its basically unchanged liturgical tradition uh, from, you know, the first millennium, uh, fixes those problems. Right. It or it, it doesn't lend itself to the problem in the first place. So I think that maybe that's an easy example. So there's hymns, um, obviously that were written, you know, after the time of Christ. I mean, it's not like we're doing the same liturgy the apostles were, were doing, but you can trace it better and it it retains its its um uh, its essence over time, so to speak. Uh now again, that doesn't mean that there aren't forces that are trying to influence and change that. There, there most definitely is, especially in, in GoArch, uh, the Greek Orthodox Church here in the States, part of uh, OCA, right? That, the Orthodox Church in America, sorry, um, that are definitely pushing for, you know, female priests and uh, you know, Skittle stuff that, you know, the same elites who co-opted Roman Catholicism and Protestantism, evangel- Evangelical Protestantism for sure, are the same people trying to subvert the Orthodox Church. And you see that in uh, in the U.K. and right now over there in uh, Kiev, and you see it in Russia, and um, so we have to be very careful uh, about that too. So I don't know. That was kind of a rambling answer to your question, but
0: no uh, rambling answers are what I like the most. So, so yeah, we're good here. Um, okay, so maybe you can continue a little bit along this path. When you are probably a lot like me, you've probably read a lot of Seraph and Rose in the last few, few years. I've read a number of his books as well. So you became more of a, a consumer of the information, consumer in, in that sort of way. So when did you sort of Take that general general sort of gathering of the information and decide. Okay, this is this is not just an interest now. This is actually a pathway I want to pursue.
1: Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure there was a moment, but I did take um, almost all of 2022 off from putting out uh, video audio content, and I was doing a lot of writing and a lot of reading. And the reason I did that is I didn't want to stumble and say something stupid on air. Um, so I I did unfortunately lost like a lot of subscribers and followers during that time, but it was in the pursuit of something um, something better. Uh, I, it was a largely an academic pursuit, just reading about the history of the church over and over and over again from as many writers as I could get, and then picking up things like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Floroski or uh, Vladimir Lasky or uh, Father Dimitri Staniloy, uh, the real spiritual practices of the church for sure, Father Seraphim Rose. Um, but ultimately, like, th- none of this really co- becomes cohesive until you go and participate in the divine liturgy at a church. Then it all sort of comes together and makes sense. And and that's to say that you don't need to do all the academic work. If you just go to the liturgy, that is better, obviously, than just doing the academic work. But I think in tandem, they really help uh, kind of make sense of the situation. So it was probably, I probably went to, you know, we're lucky up here. I have 12, maybe 15 Orthodox churches within a ten minute, <laughs> wow. 10 minute drive. That of seems me. like an
0: odd, like an oddly high percentage to me. No,
1: yeah, I mean it, it's an old area. This this whole area was settled right. in the 1600s. Yeah. Um,
0: probably one of the oldest parts of the United States is that, is that whole area. In terms of our our modern, you know, no, sure, whatnot, yeah, sure.
1: My my understanding is that the Boston, New York area were really, and San Francisco were really the um, when St. Herman of Alaska and I think it's T-Con. Brought Orthodoxy to the continental United States; those were the areas they really that they blossomed from. So, a lot of the Southern Connecticut Orthodox churches um, were the first, like one of the first in in the country. So, there's a lot of that here. <clears throat> um, th- the downside to that is there's not a lot of Orthodox Christians here. So, rather than have one church that's packed with people, you have 15 churches that are third full. Right? So it's, there's a dispersion. Kind
0: like of. Libertarian Party chapter meetings, or you know?
1: <laughs> oh, boy. Well, well it's, it's way <laughs> Probably more. Probably a little more, more yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so Joking was, comparison. I, I basically went to all of them at least once uh, just to get a sense kind of what was, what was going on and had some really interesting experiences. Uh, they're all different in their own way, not in the celebration, the liturgy, but sort of in their own individual parish personalities. Um, it's in, very interesting. And we, we finally landed on one about six months ago, seven months ago, um, that we went because my, my fiance was, who's grew up Protestant and is pretty, uh, pretty strictly Protestant, had a little bit of a falling out in her life with hardcore Protestant, evangelical, evangelical experience, um, where they just went a little off the rails. And so she has some PTSD with, with rigorous, uh, Christianity let's put it that way right <clears throat> and so the one we ended up staying at she really liked because the icon images the names were in English right there was a little bit more accessibility to uh, the presentation of the church not everything was written in Greek or Russian um, <clears throat> which you know was a little hard for me at first because I kind of wanted the more rigorous thing but as it turns out the priest there um, is just an incredible holy man and, and we, we ended up hitting it off right away uh, you know, the community is always a little bit maybe anxious when they see somebody new. Really? Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, I and it's, I don't think they want to be, but, you know, when you're protective of something that you love, you're always, I think your, your sense or your spidey sense goes off that, oh, is this someone who's going to bring something negative in here? Should we trust them? Should we, they're, they're always openly welcome in these places, but they're not like unaware that you're new if that makes
0: sense. Yeah. 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 So, so do, a do lot- you think there's a, a cautiousness, uh, uh, in the sense of we're open and loving to anyone coming in here, but at the same time, who knows what, you know, where, what pathway this person's on, if they're really serious about it, if they're just a, a fly by nighter, who's just popping their head in.
1: Sure. Yeah. And, and I, I've actually talked about this recently, but, um, <clears throat> but not with you. So it, it was, I felt sort of a need to, um, I'm, I'm probably going to word this incorrectly, so I hope people understand what I mean, but sort of prove myself. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. no, I, I do want to be here. I do feel like I belong here. Um, help me uh, know what to do because I didn't know. If you go to the traditional Latin Mass in the Roman Catholic Church, you, there's a basic outline that's kind of the same, but there's a richness and a depth to the Orthodox uh, services, especially the divine liturgy, that is can be overwhelming.
0: When you mean first. you didn't know what to do, you mean like actually in the church? Like yeah, the yeah, yeah
1: yeah okay yeah 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 so I mean I did a lot of work on like googling you know what do I do at this moment the liturgy what do I do at this moment the liturgy because I had the Roman Catholic the new Roman Catholic mass completely memorized I mean I probably still do word for word from beginning to end so I kind of wanted to be able to do that and I felt like if I couldn't do that I wasn't fully participating so you know you ask for help and and advice and and slowly you start to become part of a community and the flip side to this is. Um, I have been burned by communities in the past, so I have a natural distrust for group think, right? Groups in general. Like, is this group going to, you know, do me bad, right? Are they going to do me wrong? Uh, so th- that I think is, maybe that was the biggest growth was to kind of let down my guard, see other people sort of let down their guard um, and really start to feel like I'm part of something. Um, and, and, and again, the, the priest there is just super based, man. He, he's one of the coolest people uh, super, super holy man. It just takes so much joy in, in what he does. So that resonated with us, um, quite a bit. I don't even remember what the original question
0: was. Oh no, who knows? Who knows? Uh, when, when um, uh, well, we were just talking about kind of how you first just, you know, went about finding a church oh, right, right. Right, and all that stuff. <clears throat> um, I'm curious before you started attending this current church, were you, were you attending church at all or had you, had you sort of, no. Okay. So you were, you went from no church for how many years?
1: Um, I, basically swore off the Roman Catholic church probably right when I got, I got out of the military in 2005, Uh, probably right around then I decided like, I'm never going back to a a Catholic mass again. And I I have like gone with some family just as something to do for me. It was the same as like going to a movie or the gas station, right? You just go to be polite. Um, And it, even those couple of times, it just, it's cringy and I don't know, icky in some way. Uh, and I'm sorry for people who wrote I'm not trying to be mean to, to Roman Catholics who don't feel just that one way. It's just one man's personal perspective. My own personal exactly. perspective was it just felt icky. Um, so no, it was, yeah, from 2005 on, I, I, I have called myself an atheist during that time period, but I don't think that's actually accurate. Um, because I wasn't actively being anti-God. I was just sort of ambivalent to it. Um, and I realized that if I was going to believe in something, like I mentioned before, uh, Where is the presupposition that allows that belief system to happen? Um, And it was around like 2018 where uh, I realized kind of that I didn't have a belief system. And we we do a lot of presuppositional critiques on the show. And if you see me on Facebook or anything, questioning people's sort of worldview and paradigm, um, I did that to myself and realized I didn't have one. Right, I just I didn't I couldn't figure out a way to justify anything that I believed in, which made pretty much everything I believed in total horseshit. Right, and that was a tough realization. Um, and then COVID happened, the show took off, and here we are. Um, it's a it's a completely different place, and you know I'm so much more at peace, uh, but not in this weird like sedated sedated medicated way that these spiritual not religious sort of guru types. Uh, end up, and that that to me feels very medicated. It feels very self-involved. Um, ultimately, I don't think that's a, a peaceful place to be. Um, but again, it's it's a personal perspective. I can't can't judge anybody.
0: So it's interesting because your your interest in orthodoxy definitely seems like it started it academically, so to speak. You know, when you're just consuming the information, the worldview, trying to understand it better. But when you actually attend the church. It almost seems like that's a separate thing that, that could be, com- you could have never looked up the information, maybe. You could have never learned the the ins and outs in that academic way, and perhaps still had an incredibly sort of spiritual experience if, for whatever reason, you started attending the church. And maybe maybe I'm misspeaking a little bit and putting words in your mouth, but maybe you can just elaborate on, you know, because t- when you were talking about that earlier, it sort of reminded me of libertarianism and, you know, all the libertarians that have read all the books. Read all the Rothbard. We know all the theory. You cannot debate us on this stuff. But if that person then lives in their mother's basement or isn't acting even in a way that is, is in line with those beliefs, what does it all matter? So yes, you could have just done all the academic stuff and understood it all. But if you're not then taking that and applying it spiritually, which would then really is what would I would imagine would be the part that changes your life more, does it really matter?
1: Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't learn academically what you can experience. It's just not possible, right? So you can uh, probably learn how to uh, completely build a muscle car from the ground up just reading the academic texts of how to do it and memorize them. But when you go now, to... here's actually, a wrench. Have fun. Yeah, when you go to actually build a car, I mean, you're going to run into a lot of things that, you're, that experience tells you over time is how to do something, right? And um, there's obviously more than one book written on how to build a car from the ground up so there's different perspectives as well uh for the libertarians you know if you're not um really presented with an affront to your system then your system is all in your head and academic right so what covid did sorry covid did was um uh, present libertarian ideas with a foil and the libertarian ideas did not hold up to the challenge That's. When you have a paradigm, when you when you subscribe to a worldview, and your worldview cannot st- cannot stand up to the challenges that the world presents you, then you should, uh, I, th- I think, quite obviously, uh, adapt a different worldview.
0: Not to get too uh, nerdy here, but Superman can't really find out who he really is until he has a Lex Luthor, <laughs> you know. So maybe in some yeah. ways. C-O-V-I-D, yeah. was the Lex Luthor that came in to present the Libertarians with this challenge. And we look around and we're not seeing a lot of Superman action. <laughs> you
1: know? Yeah, that, that's a good point. I mean, until until Superman's presented with the challenge of saving the world, he can talk about saving the world, but he's never actually done it. Right. Right? He can, that, he uh, can read all the books.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> read a 400-page tome on how to stop an incoming meteorite, that, you know, but can you actually do it? and
1: you know it's-, it's funny you say that cuz the 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 Zack Snyder Man of Steel movie got a lot of crap from critics because Superman snaps Zod's head at the end mm-hmm. and that was very antithetical. It's when he became
0: Superman. a post-libertarian, you know, a, po- a post-superhero. Uh, you
1: yeah. <laughs> know, but I like I like what Zack Snyder was trying to do there. He's trying to show a Superman who's still learning and vulnerable and mm. flawed. I mean, I know that's maybe getting a little postmodern with the with the whole ethos of superheroes, but um, it's an interesting thought experiment. Yeah, that you don't really know what you're capable of, or what you can do, until you're tested, and
0: uh, you could take it a few different ways. Yeah, I mean, not 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 to go on a whole, uh, you know, two hours about. Man of Steel, but I, I did. That's that's a moment in that movie that's probably we easily could, and I'm happy to. Maybe we can do it. Hop over to my other podcast, to the Second Print Comics podcast. Oh, right, and talk that's about right. The, I forgot. We actually, I, I could change the background. We could be in another podcast just, just like that if we want. Um, but you know, the interesting thing about that is that it was one of the biggest criticisms from fans of the movie that generally I, I would say regarded it as a well-made film, but there was a couple of things where they that being one of them, and the other one, um, when. Ha Kent just said, like, hold on, don't, don't, don't save me from this, uh, the tornado right. or whatever. So nobody knows you're Superman. Which that, that I thought was just the dumbest thing ever. But you know, it's 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 an interesting direction, and it's not something to be just be thrown out necessarily. Because when you look at it in this perspective, a lot of people looked at it as, well, we should have seen Superman. Um, have this moral character for maybe a movie or two before he makes that decision where he has to do something more extreme. But when you look at it that right. way, you, this is supposed to be a, a relatively sort of younger Superman in being Superman. Um, so, you know, you could look at it as the initial sort of stumbling block in his growth more than anything else. So it's, it's just an interesting way to, to look at it, which, you know, we can uh an- analogize that with libertarianism, uh, you know, to the cows can home probably.
1: Yeah. Again, it just, you know, it comes down to experience and there, there is, um, uh, kind of, it, it, it. I don't want it to sound like a trope, <clears throat> but it, it kind of, it does come across as one. And I, I wish people wouldn't consider it to be a trope. It's, it's that, uh, going to the divine liturgy on a regular basis will change you. It, it, it will be impossible for it not to change you. Um, and this is not like a bold statement, right? If you go to uh, Satan worshiping school or something for a period of time, it's going to change you. Right. So, but what it changes you into is this completely amazing and different way of looking at the world that you, and I, I hear this all the time, but from my experience that you never thought about before, it, it's such a complex idea of, you know, humility with virtue, with standing up for what you believe in, what in the West, a lot of times would be seen as a uh, contradictory or, things in dialectic tension um, that orthodoxy uh, resolves a lot of times. And it can be really confusing at first. You're like, well, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but I'm also supposed supposed to stand up uh, for the community. Like the Western Christian dialectics sort of uh, makes those things in opposition. So you have one group of Christians who is super pacifist and just wants to hug everybody, and another group of Christians who want to take over the government, right, and instill national values. And those two are opposed to each other. Whereas in orthodoxy, there's a a common um, phrase uh, called both and that resolves dialectical tension by bringing in a real rich understanding of the human experience um, that ultimately comes from the creator himself. Uh, That to me was something that you actually experience the lack of tension and the beautiful binding together of all of kind of the principles of the cosmos in the divine liturgy it's something that i it's very difficult to explain without sounding super weird but uh it's i believe it to be inevitable um and, and my fiance even said it to me she's like no you were totally right about it like i she she splits time between um the protestant church that her family goes to and coming with me and you know she's at the point now where she said like i don't know if i can still go to the other one right and that's not me influencing her. I actually told her not to come with me. Right. I, I wasn't trying to convince her of anything. Right. Um, right. That's interesting. and, and selfishly, I thought it might actually hinder my progress, which I ended up talking to my priest about and he kind of set me straight. But, um, she said that, you know, I, she doesn't feel comfortable going to the liturgy and going to the Protestant, you know, the next week. Um, so it does, it does change. It's like in a seeing way. two different people in a way, you know? Yeah, man. she's like cheating on God, dude. What's up with that? <laughs> Yeah, no, it really does. It really does change you, and I, I kind of challenge people to go spend some time. Um, no one's going to bug you, man. Like if you, if you, not you, but you know, if if you go there, no one's going to give you a hard time and like you know try to get you initiated into a cult. There, it's it's very very freeing in a lot of ways. So
0: it's 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 not going to be like a, a libertarian convention when they're going to quiz you on how much Rothbard you've read, or you're not going to get, hey, how many Seraphim Ro- Rose books have you read?
1: That is that is correct. That and to be completely uh, honest with you. Um, not only is there no requirement to read all of those books, to be a member of the church, most of my encounters with individuals, uh, lay people, not clergy, but, um, they're not aware of a lot of those things, mm-hmm. right? They, they may have read, you know, some spiritual stuff or guidance books, but for the most part, I don't think they could tell you who Stan Eloy is, right? Or, you know, <laughs> they, they may have read church books by the church fathers, but they're not in online forums and on Twitter, you know discussing Orthodox Christianity. They're just there living the life.
0: In some ways, they're what many libertarians or or anarchists sort of, that we've both been through that phase, you and I would have called like normies at that time. Oh, there's those people that they don't spend their time, they don't spend all their time reading Rothbard or Mises. They're just normies. They don't really get it. But when you when you actually look at it, they're, they're like a lot. I used to kind of sort of look down on people that didn't read about politics as much as I did. And then you zoom out and you look at those people, and what are they doing? Oh, they're raising a family. They're living a life. They're like, oh, right. because they're living it. They don't need to go read a, a th- you know, who, who had to read Rothbard and Mises? It was me, the single guy with no direction, that had to make that my worldview. Well, maybe you don't need that as much when you're actually just living the, a a life.
1: Yeah, I mean, the dude, the, the libertarians, quote-unquote, that are actually doing stuff, I imagine we probably don't know most of them, right? People right. who just went out and bought land somewhere and just did it and they don't care about Facebook and Twitter right. and whatever. They're not the ones at the LP meetings. <laughs> right, it's, it's 100% right. Um, and, you know, there's also, I, I would imagine, um, probably hundreds, if not thousands, of saints that the church or us, we don't even know they exist. Right, we, we we recognize the church recognizes someone who's a saint. They don't make someone a saint. That person's actions make them a saint. But
0: it's interesting you, you bring that up because I I've uh, out of many advice that I've uh, seen from uh, Cyprian, who we both know, like one of the things he has said, like even if, you know, if you don't go to church or do this, like your life will change just by reading the lives of the saints. And I eventually did buy uh, the book, the comp- compilation of the lives of the saints, and I've incorporated it into my daily routine where I sort of do some meditation in the morning and then I, and they're so short, literally you read them in 30 seconds, 45 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm already starting to get why, why he says something like that. Where he even says, I think he's even said, I don't want to quote, misquote him, but something along the lines, you'll be better off reading the lines of lives of the saints every day than like reading the Bible or reading Seraphim Rose books or whatever it may be. Because that's that's sort of the the real life example of of how you can live. But when you read those stories, especially when you read them before you start the day, it just, it lets you start the day a lot more humble because look mm-hmm. at what some of these people have done. And some of the stories are really fascinating to me because they, they are things where it does make you think, we could easily have not heard of this person. You know, these are, these are just the, the people that stood up for something that they were, they were not trying to get attention. Um, They were not doing something to make a martyr of themselves. They just acted in the right way. And I don't care what your religious perspective necessarily is. I, if you read any of these stories, you're, you're not going to, you're going to be hard pressed to say that these people did not act in when the most right way possible. So it is just mm-hmm. an example to set. So to me, that's like, it's been really a, I don't want to say life-changing. I've only been doing this a week or two, but it, it has been a, a way that has started my day. And I think made me more humble throughout the day in anything that might come up because how could like an unexpected bill be something I, I couldn't have a mental cave in over when look at what these people just did, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's silly. Yeah, no, that's
1: a great point. And, you know, I, I would, posit that you know i would say all but <clears throat> at least the vast majority of the saints that you're reading about would probably be horrified to know that there was something written about them mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. it would be they would not know what to do with that information because <clears throat> it really is about you know the the personal determination to do something that you believe is the fulfillment of the cosmic mysteries right it's not a um, they're not trying to prove Orthodox Christianity through their actions. They're just doing the actions because it's a natural outcome of their faith and um, and faith in God, right? So this, this is a good contrast to what you see a lot in the West. Obviously, the Protestant world doesn't really have saints. I mean, Anglican, Lutheran, yeah, they've adopted the, the Roman Catholic thing. But stuff like, um, you know, stigmata or Our Lady of Fatima or these like weird things always come out as like trying to prove Western Christianity. Like, oh, look, this miracle proves... You know, Christ is real. Uh, you just you don't get that in Orthodox Christianity, like at all, right? It's 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 just people doing things and then, you know, dying and then stuff written about them, right? There's never like, you know, a, a potential saint on CNN trying to prove Orthodox Christianity. <laughs> right. like, it's just a, it, hey, it would look be at the
0: sacrifice I'm gonna go valiantly make. That's not you know, how it it, works.
1: Yeah, it, and and that's that's a real. It's a tough thing to explain for me right now in words, but. The entire phronema, the entire ethos, the mindset um, is just a completely di- in, a, in a completely different place than Western Christianity, like completely.
0: Especially some of the stories I'll read too. Sometimes you you read a, a story about the life of a saint, and you almost for a second you're like, wait, so what did they do? What did they do that was so great? And sometimes you just you have to reread it and realize. It's what they didn't do, you know, like mm-hmm. there there's it's the the order they didn't follow. It's the unjust thing they just didn't do that. They were told to do that. They just held strong with and you realize, oh, sometimes doing but- sometimes doing a saintly thing is just not doing something, you know, just not doing something someone else is trying to, to tell you to do. Yeah,
1: it's, it's like um, maybe a crude analogy which harken back to DC universe would be like a Superman who no no one knew existed. Right. right. And you just keep seeing these like superhuman things. And you're like, who's doing this? Well,
0: stuff? it's kind of like Superman before he put on the uniform. I love that we can keep going back to this analogy. Oh, let, yeah. let, let's keep it up. It's Superman before he became Superman. He still had the powers as a kid. He still, you know, seemingly depending on what what timeline or universe you're in, whatever, saved some people when he was younger, maybe just kind of secretly swooped swooped in, stopped a car, stopped a train. Who knows? Um, but only once he puts that suit on, is he kind of saying, I am look at me. I am Superman. So maybe that's when he loses a little bit of, a, of the luster when he actually becomes Superman.
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's, that's a good point too. You, you could take it in a direction and say, well, maybe he never should have put the suit on at all. Mm-hmm. I, I think, I mean, you would agree probably the idea is he becomes a symbol, right. an icon, right. right? For people to focus on. But what's cool about tying this back into Orthodox Christianity is you still, you get that symbol and the icon without it being demonstrably in your face, mm-hmm. right? You kind of have to seek it out. Uh, so I think that's a nice way of balancing that that dichotomy um, with things like superheroes that have to sort of be overt and in your face. Or because if you have a superhero that nobody knows about, it kind of defeats the reason to watch the movie. <laughs> I think I, I can't think of one like a secret superhero. Can you think of one?
0: Um, I'm sure there are some that I, I can't really think of offhand. But even in in those scenarios, like the whole storyline becomes like that person becoming. An outward superhero, yeah. So it's hard. It's yeah, hard yeah, to think really probably think of. There probably is something I, I'm not that's not really coming to mind. But I mean, the whole thing with Superman really is 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 he has this immense power. He could literally become the tyrant of the world, no problem. Nobody could stop him, even in the DC universe with all these other heroes and villains, if he wanted to. And there's actually a whole storyline about this in, in called Injustice, where it's a, where Superman yeah, goes yeah. bad. It's a whole different thing. We don't need to get that nerdy. But um the point is, this is what he could be. He has the power to be that what makes superman great is has nothing to do with his powers has nothing to do with his laser eyes or his his cold breath or anything like that it's it's really again it's sort of what he doesn't do with the power um mm. it's it's that he 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 still is out there um, gumshoe reporter Clark Kent, um, being a, trying his best to be a good person, all because of the, the values he was raised, raised with, because he was raised by Ma and Pa Kent. If he's raised by, by someone else, uh, you know, he lands in the wrong field. We could see a totally mm. different situation here.
1: It, what, that was a storyline too, wasn't it? That he landed in a different place. A the, city. Well, there
0: was one where he, there's an alternate, uh, like, we're really, yeah. getting, we're really getting deep here, but there's, there's one where he like landed in Soviet Russia and then becomes this like this, like communist tyrant mm. Superman. Yeah. There, there's a, there's many different sort of alternate Superman stories out there. So yeah, they, they've, they've, they've yeah. experimented with the, that thought before for sure. Hmm. And anyway, I, I don't know where, where I was going from the Superman stuff. So we can. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but, that was fun to, fun to divert on. For, but uh, for, uh, for more superhero talk, check out secondprintcomics.com. Uh, anyway, back to the, the regularly scheduled program. But um, so we, I, I want to kind of dig a little bit more into how you say the going to church and going to the litur- liturgy changes you or has changed you. I mean, is it. Maybe you can just describe it. Is it something you you feel physically? Is it almost like going for a run or something like that? Where it's hard. I'm not saying liturgy is hard, but maybe, you know, maybe you don't always feel like getting up on Sunday morning and physically. Maybe you just feel like sleeping in, had a late night, whatever it may be. Um, but when you do it, and I'm I am comparing it to like running or going to the sauna right now, like or going to the gym, whatever it may be, it doesn't feel good to do necessarily. It, you don't even really want to do it. But my God, when you get done, you're so glad you did it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I have gotten to the point where I do now very much look forward to mm-hmm. going. It, it's really a reset for my week, and <clears throat> I wish there were more services. Obviously, during times like Land's Holy Week, you know, there's services every day. Um, during the re- kind of regular parts of the year, just to kind of dumb down the terminology, it's really only Sunday liturgies, and sometimes there's a, a service before it, a matin service before it. Um, but no, I, there, there is a physical, uh, quality to it for sure. Something that you can. Literally feel there's an emotional quality to it. Um, there's a and there's a higher order spiritual quality to it that I mean I can only speak from my personal experience, but helps you reorient right. If you you bring kind of your your baggage in from the previous six days, and you don't have to talk to anyone about what your baggage is, but at the end of those two hours, you kind of know what to do with all of that baggage now right it, it's it's everything has been kind of com- com- compartmentalized or dissected through having done no real thinking about the problem and that's the best way i can word it that <clears throat> i walk out of the liturgy at you know noon or twelve thirty after being there for a couple hours and everything just sort of makes sense to me i don't feel worried about anything i'm, I'm uh, not bothered by what I need to do for the rest of the day. And then slowly over the course of a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you start accumulating again, all of this BS. Modern world, world. worries
0: and concerns and whatnot.
1: And yeah. And, and so the, the maybe the, <clears throat> the best analogy I could compare it to would be something like a therapy session. But in therapy, it's really about band-aiding your mind, body, and soul. It's not really about healing anything. Mm. Um, it, it'll, they'll say it is, but it all comes through conversation. Right, working through conversation in in the therapeutic sense. I mean, there are some weirder kind of experiential types of therapy, but it's you're you're not in the literature. You're not talking about your problems at all, right? They're just internal, and somehow they're resolved at the end of it.
0: I don't know if you've seen the meme, but uh Buck Johnson posted a meme of mm-hmm. Father Turbo where he there's one where he's a picture where he's really excited and he's saying, oh, you want to get yes. to orthodoxy to solve the world's problems. And then the next one right. is like one of these really serious photos of him where it says, and then you find out the problem is you. I think that's kind of it, just from my sort of, I guess, pedestrian understanding. It is sort of the point of orthodoxy. It's to point the mirror at yourself and and. Sort of find the true you to to see the true you to you know to and you can just sort of elaborate on that point from from your own perspective, but that that what you just said right now sort of made me think of that meme
1: yeah, I mean, it is definitely you know not turning inward in order to build yourself up into this like strong dominant alpha male or something it's it's very much a uh self critique of with guidance right because if you're if you're doing a type of therapeutic session without a real concrete end then you're just doing like random psychology right so if you go to a therapist you, you say what's what do I want the goal of this to be I want to be a uh, more successful in business I want to have a healthier relationship they're going to just take your material goal and they're going to tweak your faculties to achieve that goal but that doesn't mean that that goal is necessarily what's good for you <laughs> right you're you're sort of're assuming what re- you
0: want is what you should right. do
1: you're assuming that what you want is what you should do. And that's where psychology really fails people or, you know, you go the medication route, which really fails people, but is assuming that what you want is what you should be getting. And what you get through a much more therapeutic, much more like wholesome, holistic view in the Orthodox Church is you realize what you, what God wants you to do. Maybe in direct competition to what you want to do. Um, And sometimes what you want to do might be in direct competition. Uh, you know, contrast to what you really want to do, because you haven't even thought about it like i 've been in the, now in the restaurant industry for eighteen years I, I wonder like i I kind of just got into this by accident, <laughs> got really good at it, and just kept doing it you know i don't have a real reason why I do it other than it's just what i've done so that's a good material example. So if I said to somebody like a, a therapist i, well, I want to be you know in a career I enjoy like how do they know how to get into my soul to know what enjoyment actually means? Maybe I shouldn't be working at all. Maybe I should go be a you know in, go to a monastery or something. I'm not saying that I am, but that not having a holistic experience of the universe and the cosmos, um, you're not really going to be able to get direction because it's always going to be subjective and in your own head. Within the church, you're you're focused directly on Christ and then through Christ, God the Father. That's the ultimate goal. You know, so what? Whatever gets you there, that's what you're aiming for. You so you know what the end game is. The end game is not you. The end game is not yourself. The end game is you. You have faith and believe that you were created for a particular reason. Um, Some of that is definable, right, in scripture, and some of it you'll never know. But the only way to follow to that goal completely is to get on that path. And every time you waver from it have your spiritual father or the church community nudge you back on that path again. And only by going on that path are you going to get to that destination. Um, Whether or not that destination is what you inherently want right now, it's ultimately what a much higher power wants from you. That relinquishing of control, which is, of course, very hard for people who are libertarians because they want to be in control of everything in their own life. The relinquishing of control is ultimately freedom and liberty for me.
0: That's really an interesting perspective there because uh you know the libertarian thing is i don't want anyone to control me i don't want i don't want to be controlled i want to control everything they it's really it's almost wanting to be the tyrant but of your own life and the orthodox view is almost the opposite again this is my pedestrian sort of just what i'm gathering uh from talking to you and people like you is that's kind of the opposite it's it's letting go of that uh and allowing yourself to just sort of be in a way guided does that make sense
1: yeah i mean ultimately the, the way I would word it, and I know people are, people are going to like always pick things out of conversations like, whoa, really? So we're trying to just get the basics here, obviously, for the listeners. But um, one of the best ways I could put it is real liberty, real individual liberty, real freedom is not having the ability to choose between right and wrong. It's following the path so much that there is no wrong to choose from. And that can only happen if you relinquish control to a higher power. And obviously, we believe only one higher power. Um, and that has proven itself over time to direct people in that way. Because when you look again at the lives of the saints, you, you will get uh, individual experiences. Like some are in Russia, some are in Germany, whatever. And so they have different worldly actions that are going on. But ultimately, at the end of the day, all of their experiences are the same. And that's how we can, we can know that when we follow this path, ultimately, that's where we want to be in that same place. It, it's not like the end game is always different depending on who you are, which is, I think, very pervasive in Western Christianity. It's, it's the experiences of the saints are what they are. The reason there are relics, the reason there are bodies that are not completely uh, decomposed, right, that are kept in churches of the saints is because they follow this one path. Right, so it doesn't change over time. That's that's a profound thing to understand. That I I think Western Christianity has uh, failed its people in presenting.
0: When you talk about being put here for a reason, or that we're that we're in a certain place for a certain reason, um, do you do you mean mean that on? Do you believe that on the individual level as well? Like, do you, do you believe every human that is born, that is created, um, that has a soul? is actually put like actually has certain roles they are supposed to play that they can end up playing if they maybe maybe they end up playing the role properly the more they let go and allow themselves to be guided or maybe they could fight that you know all day long and be more of an individual and and sort of go down a different path i mean i'm i'm just sort of postulating here but um what's your thoughts on that it's a good question and to be clear i i'm asking adam patrick adam patrick not adam patrick representative of orthodoxy which you would never claim to be anyway just just for for everyone out there yeah definitely not these are personal um, opinions i'm looking for not not official church positions the
1: ultimate reason of creation we can just go back to you know the first three or four chapters of genesis that the human beings were created in the image and likeness of god to cultivate and and care for uh essentially the universe right but the you know the earth the world um depending on which translation it's basically the world the cosmos. Uh, to be fruitful, to multiply, to have stewardship and lord over the lands and to be and to grow then in our spirituality and our connection, our theosis with the creator. Um, that's, I mean, obviously, ultimately the purpose of humanity. Uh, and we still have that responsibility, fallen or not. We still have a responsibility to care for you know, nature. We still have a responsibility to our fellow people. Um, so there are rights that are inherent to that particular story. Um, as far as each individual person, um, having their own kind of way of playing out in reality, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I, I get a little nervous tweaking into Protestant ideas of that, uh, cause I haven't really articulated it before. I, I would imagine that, yes, you could say God has a plan for you, but I, I get nervous with words like that, because they, they come across very like mega churchy. God has a plan for you.
0: And it can sort of, uh, walk the line. And this is what I always kind of go through in my head with when thinking about this stuff, predestination versus free will, like, does God have a plan for you? Okay. But then at what point does God having a plan actually mean you wouldn't have any free will? And so, which is, so that's the sort of the the conflict. Yeah. I, I, it's,
1: it's a, it's a little over my head that this, but, uh, my understanding is that, um just because uh god knows something does not mean that god is controlling the outcome of that something because if
0: if god lives outside of space and time then god is not confined by what happened yesterday or what's going to happen tomorrow it would be all knowing and all encompassing of that
1: that's correct yeah outside of time right so we don't um, orthodox christianity doesn't believe in predestination um that that kind of elect unelect stuff is is anathema to christianity it's it's, it's an absurd position um but as far as you know the do people have their own individual? I, I don't know. Uh, I really don't know the position on that. It's something I probably should look into.
0: Yeah, You know, just just freewheeling thoughts here. Well, we will continue probably with some more freewheeling thoughts because I'm going to get a lot weirder in a minute when we hop over to this milk-filled room. Uh, but Adam, it's been awesome talking to you. Awesome to ha- having this update with you. And I definitely want to encourage people. You are back to uh, what I would call pretty fairly regular podcasting anyway uh, with the age of information. So feel free to plug away on everywhere they can find that. Anything else you want to plug on uh, social media wise, Twitter, whatever it may be.
1: Yeah, it's um. So d- www.theageofinformation.com will have links to everything from you know YouTube to podcasts to Twitter to whatever. Um, I'm on Facebook pretty regularly. That's just Adam Patrick. Uh, the Age of Information's also a Facebook page. Shows get updated there. We did start really trying to put out good YouTube content uh, starting in January. So there are weekly videos that go up, interviews, book readings, um, just crazy talks about whatever. And I think they're pretty well done. They're, the YouTube is for only having really put out content for like five months done pretty well. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that that continues. I, I realize a lot of people don't pay for YouTube premium. So they're that's probably why the podcast gets so many more listens than YouTube does. Um, but yeah, so it's at the age of underscore info on YouTube, Twitter, Adam Patrick on Facebook. And um, definitely like comment subscribe, leave reviews, five stars on iTunes, anything like that. We we definitely appreciate it.
0: All right, Adam Patrick, great talking to you once again. We'll continue to do so in the smoke-filled room, but thanks for coming on my show.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you.
0: All right, friends. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Adam Patrick. I sure did, and I really, really enjoyed the conversation as it continued in the smoke-filled room where we got we had fun, let me say. We really got interesting. We we stayed on the topic of the Bible. We talked a little more about about the book of Genesis and more specifically the serpent story. And because I'm a weirdo, I found a way to tie all this into uh, fake dinosaurs, evolution, dragons, and things of this nature. Yes, we talked about all this stuff in the smoke-filled room. You do not want to miss this for as measly ocho dólares every single month. Or you go to Rockfin and you support me, you support Jay Dyer, you support Isaac Isaac Weisob, uh, Courtney Turner. You get all of their content for, I believe, the low, low price of $15 a month. There's a number of ways to do things. You can even get yourself a free trial over on Subscribestar for, I believe, a week. So you can, you can support the show there. Either way, you got to check out The Smoke Smokefield Room, the full, full version of this episode available to Mark Claire Show. Premium subscribers, find all of your links over at markclaire.com. I'm going to spell that for you because everyone messes it up. It's M-A-R-C, not K. M A R C. C L A I R dot com, dot com. Until next time, my friends, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.